0: So I send my greetings to all of you who have joined this Zoom call today. The topic of this talk is equanimity or upeka in the time of the pandemic. And this pandemic, by the way, is I think we're going to all remember this for the rest of our lives. This is a very unusual time. They talk about a previous one a hundred years ago. The Spanish flu came through and killed a lot of people around in a large portion of the world. But that was not the modern world we're living in now. This is very unique. This has never occurred. The shutting down the gigantic infrastructure of the entire planet, all of the flights and the travel... And all of the business and connecting, this is interrupting it in the, in the modern times. Nothing like this has occurred. There have been wars, but none of them shut down this uh, on this extent. Every single country is involved. And so, and we all, uh, it affects everybody's lives as well. So this is the, the process so we we have to um not make too many uh, assumptions about how it's supposed to go or how it should go, and this is a lesson because part of we don't know whether the pandemic for each of us is going to be a negative experience or a positive experience or neither positive nor negative. We should not project that this is all everybody everybody is having a negative experience and certainly it's clear that not everybody is having a positive experience. But the experience will be different for each one of us in this pandemic. So what advice can I give to everybody in this pandemic? What type of teaching from the, the, the Buddha? Actually, there are many, but one of them in particular is this this practice called upeka, which we translate in English as equanimity or balance. So uh, a, a scale, a balance scale, uh, adjusts and we find the center. And we find stillness in the center. That's one kind of equanimity. And this type of equanimity we can, we can find both in, uh, in our meditation but we need to take it around and carry it in the world, in our daily life. So we have to practice equanimity in motion, in activity, in conversation. So we, this is a very valuable thing. It is described by the Buddha as the proper response to both success and failure. Both praise and blame. Both good fortune and bad fortune. Both fame and obscurity. Do you see the teeter-totter? It swings back and forth. Sometimes you are well-known, you have a large family, uh, friends at work. Then you move to a new town and nobody knows you. So that's fame and obscurity. Other times, everything's going well in your life, you're making, you have a good job, everything's succeeding, the success, but other times things fall apart and failure. So we're, especially we're in, the time, in this time of the pandemic, we're going to see a lot of that, probably more failure than success. But we can actually learn how to succeed in the midst of failure. It's possible to succeed while failing. So this is a good trick. Everybody should learn how to succeed when you're failing. Success in failing is this, that you do not fall into anxiety, worry, fear, Interrupted sleep, all of these things, depression. Uh, if you, in the midst of failure, which is uh, possible for anybody, every single person on this planet can fail. There's nobody immune to this. If we can keep our, a sense of balance and lightness, well-being, happiness in the midst of this, then we have succeeded. And that success is much greater success and much more important and reliable success than if we merely succeed in the material world, if we happen to get the good job, if we happen to invest right in the stock market, if we win the lottery. These are not uh, reliable success. But equanimity, if we can find our balance and well-being in the midst of these ups and downs, then that is a lasting success. That will stay with you. So there are other types of... uh, Now, there's illness and good health. And, uh, of course, everybody in this pandemic is exposed to this. Everybody has a potential for this. Notice that it seems that the people in the younger ages who don't have underlying health conditions, have less to concern themselves with if they catch this virus. But old guys like me, they can die. (laughs) And if the young person goes out and has fun and brings it back to my monastery and kills me, (laughs) then it gets complicated. (laughs) So we have to have uh, restraint and concern for each other. We cannot ignore this, and nobody is immune from this. People think that they, it's not going to bother them. Well, there's, it's true that some people, it doesn't bother. So they, they get off lightly. Uh, others, it, even if they're young and they don't seem to have any health problems, they have serious consequences and it uh, can be a very difficult, serious experience. And however, if uh, we, in the midst of this, we have to have a realistic assessment that we are all subject to illness. And this is one of the reflections the Buddha gives as well, which is very good and of course Lay people and monks and uh, everybody needs to reflect on a daily basis the five subjects for frequent recollection. I am of the nature to get ill. I have not gone beyond illness. I am of the nature to age. I have not gone beyond aging. I am of the nature to die. I have not gone beyond dying. I everything I have which is beloved and pleasing will be taken from me. And in the last part, the last reflection is whatever I do, whatever my karma is, whatever I do for good or for ill, I will inherit the results of that. So these are five subjects for frequent recollection, and if you have been doing this as a well-instructed uh, disciple uh, of the Buddha, and uh, all, all both monastics and uh, lay people need to reflect on these on a regular basis, actually daily, or maybe even three or four times a day, then you will be somewhat prepared for this situation that the entire world finds itself in. I notice that as I read uh, accounts of this, because I, as the abbot of the monastery, I have to keep informed about this. So I have to look at the New York Times, find out what is going on with this. I have to look at the BBC, the uh, what is going on in Europe, and uh, what is going on in Canada, because I have to take responsibility for this community. I have to make a decision. Should we open or not? Uh, And as I look at this, I get to see the responses that people have to this. And there's all kinds of people saying how, you know, they're talking as if something very unusual and is happening that shouldn't have happened. Well, this is we we won't that's a wrong attitude what is happening now is a, absolutely had to happen the conditions which caused this uh pandemic are just part of the of the modern world they're part of both nature and our interference with nature by the way i want to just mention i My biography was read out at the beginning there as when I was introduced and it talked about that I was very interested in the environment and environmental things and I want to say that this uh, coronavirus is not separate from the changes that humans have made to the environment and that promotes uh, some of these new These are called novel coronavirus. These are are new viruses, and they are affected and mutate based on new things that we put into the environment. So we have to understand that these are the causes and conditions that are part of the nature of the modern world. We get many advantages from this. We get to fly anywhere we want very quickly. We get... uh, industrial kind of agriculture so everybody, lots of food lots of gadgets but there is a price to pay and there is an effect on the environment and then there are secondary consequences which we don't see which are in fact this type of widespread virus as well. But is this a surprise? Are we just unlucky? Uh, Should we be frustrated by this? Should we think, darn, why is this happening to me? (laughs) Why is this happening to the world? We shouldn't think that. There's nothing surprising about this. There are no surprises in this. If you're surprised by this, then you weren't doing your five subjects for frequent recollection. Illness, aging, death, loss, and then responsibility. By the way, that last one, whatever I do, for good or for ill, that's my inheritance. And we have—we are all responsible in some way interacting with each other and with the environment. And if we act on the basis of greed and ignorance or, of course, hostility as well, we get the consequences. Now, you can see that this comes back to us, right in front of us. We can see that we affect the environment and the environment comes back and affects us. So this is part of our reflection is we are responsible and we have to make good choices, good decisions. And when we reflect on this every day, this is how we, by the way, should we reflect in fear that I I could get ill, the people I know could get ill, should we be f- afraid of this? I I will age, is that a terrible thing? Should we we be afraid of that? Uh I can die, should we be afraid of that? We're not supposed to reflect on these to generate fear. We're not the Buddha is not asking us to uh learn how how scary the life is. He's asking us to try to f- find an answer to this in the way we respond to this Situation in the world which reduces the suffering. So, illness, aging, loss, death, loss, and responsibility are to be faced with equanimity and wisdom. And that last category, also of the reflection, is for good or for ill, that is my inheritance. So, that's kama. So, In the face of illness, aging, death, and loss, we have a great chance still to put in a lot of good causes so that to do good. And that is what we should, in the face of the absolute fact and unavoidable situation of illness, aging, death, and loss, we must spend our time taking the opportunity to put good causes into the storehouse. We should do good actions. And of course, uh, one of the, in the face of the pandemic, of course, one thing is to just be patient and to use this time wisely. Of course, here we are all doing good. In the face of this pandemic, we're really doing wonderful things here. We're, first of all, the Council of Taibikus has decided to have this Dhamma ally organization make a zoom talk it takes a lot of time everybody has to be brought in to help with all the technology so here i'm sitting here in this room with two four six another six people and a lot of them have to help me get this thing set up and arrange this and run this monastery so this situation the pandemic is also a great opportunity it is a great opportunity to do good. And all of the all of you who have joined me here today are also participating in this act of goodness. You're listening to Dhamma. And is particularly this Dhamma is particularly relevant to this time and this place. And you all you have all had to go and find your computer and get it all set up and figure out Zoom and all of this stuff. That action is a bit of a, you know, it, it takes a bit of time and intention, but that is all, all towards a good act, and that act is also, is to increase your understanding of Dhamma and to also participate, because other pe- by just participating in this, you are also helping the other people in the group, and you're also helping us here at the monastery, because we have a, a live audience which we are interacting with. Our monastery is, um, is closed. So normally this monastery has 1,000 visitors a year come through, streaming through, staying with us. We, have, uh, we can accommodate about 25 people here. And year all year round, year after year, we've been here 20 years, streams of people coming through many, many thousands and thousands and thousands of people coming through, staying with us, learning Dhamma, teaching. We've never shut down before. Then, now we're shut down. So this also gives us a, a new way of looking at things and has promoted us to think, now what what is the good that we can do? So we have uh, made, you know, used... Uh, this virtual reality, this uh, videos and so forth. And then, of course, we get contacted by other Buddhist groups. So this is why we call Dhamma Ally. These, Dhamma Ally really means Dhamma Friend. We we cooperate with each other and we are most happy to cooperate with each other. So this is the opportunity. It Out of uh, a problem, we make a good results. So always in your life there are so, so many opportunities to do the good and that is your reward in the end is this how many of these acts of goodness have you strung together and in the midst of the inevitable illness aging death and pandemics <laughs> pandemics then you will have a treasure you will have the treasure of your own intentional thoughtful good deeds and of course It is, how do you even know what is a good thing to do? What's a good thought? What's a good thing to say? And what's a good thing to do? Now, I'm going to bring in the other side of this pandemic. You will see a lot of social unrest out there. Many people in the streets protesting this and that and all kinds of things happening. And... uh, they are doing that because they think it's the right thing to do. On both sides of these issues, they, th- they all both think they're doing the right thing. But do they know what the right thing is? Because uh, you get a hold of an idea and you act on this idea, do, is it the right thing to do? I look back on my own past, what I thought was a great thing to do when I was a young fellow, teenager, or in my 20s. Now I don't think it was all that skillful. It might have been very energizing, etc., but it may not have been skillful. So it's this dhamma that we practice all the time, and hearing the reflections is how we learn what is the good, what is it that we should be doing. So I noticed that in the... So part of this turmoil, social turmoil on the streets and turmoil in the economy and also affects uh, families because they're all trapped together. They cannot... They're trapped together and many people, of course, losing their jobs at the same time. This creates all kinds of stress and and an attempt to find an outlet. So this is... Where anybody who has Dhamma can is a very great help to this. This is like oil poured on the water. You know the, You can calm water, and fishermen do this sometimes, on uh, heavy waves and so forth, but you put a little bit of oil on it and it smooths everything over. Your own uh, equanimity and your capacity to remain calm, and your sense of what is the good. Which you should have learned from many reflections on Dhamma, is a great contributing factor to how to how to produce some serenity and equanimity. So we need lots of people. So there's a saying, you know, you I, I'm sure you've heard of the Titanic, this huge unsinkable ship that on its first voyage sank. <laughs> That's a Whenever humans say something is unsinkable, is indestructible, you can be guaranteed that it's not. So the, uh, the, out, out in the middle of the North Atlantic, amongst the icebergs, this giant boat, which didn't have enough lifeboats on it, sank. Now, people got into the lifeboats. Who is the most important person In the lifeboat. You know who? It's the one who stays calm. Because some of those lifeboats, a lot of people got in and they were all excited. And because of the excitement, the lifeboat turned over. So this pandemic is Titanic going down. (laughs) You are now on the Titanic. You might be on the upper deck. The middle deck, the lower deck, doesn't matter, it go, it's going down. So we, gotta, we have our little lifeboats, our little family lifeboats, our little community lifeboats, we have our, our video lifeboats here, we have our Zoom lifeboats, we have our Dhamma lifeboats. In this case, it's very important that people contribute to the stability of the situation by remaining calm. Make, people get excited you see all over the streets you see all these all kinds of people getting very excited their lifeboats are turning over they they're they're objecting to all kinds of things but they're also giving each other the the coronavirus at the same time <laughs> is this how the lifeboat turns over yes it is how the lifeboat turns over so don't think that equanimity is is abandoning or not contributing equanimity in thought in speech and in actions is a very great contribution to the stability in your with just one person talking to one person in your family in your at in your work amongst your friends and also in your dhamma circles the remaining balanced and serene and clear and with goodwill and doing good actions is the proper response to all of this. And if you get excited and you get carried away, you will be part of the reason why these lifeboats turn over. Now, did you say that there is an opportunity for a question and answers? Uh, should we take up some Questions and answers now?
1: Hi, uh, good morning, good afternoon, everyone. We have people joining from Azerbaijan to Mexico to Singapore to Vancouver. So this is definitely um, a right topic in the time of, um, I call it the tumultuous time. So I think one of the questions that, um, that I've actually got is, in the time of um, this unprecedented time, we, we heard a lot about inequality, inequity, injustice. So these are the things that you see a lot of people are, mm-hmm. are fighting for. And that seems to be the right thing to do. And, and absolutely, we need to make sure that we have um, equal rights for everyone. So the question is, how do we find that equanimity in the times that we've seen so much of injustices, inequity and inequality? So that, that will be the question, Ajahn.
0: Yeah, well, that's very, very important. And that kind of thing is in our face now because we have a lot of, people have a lot of time to listen to the news and they, of course, they're they are spending a lot of time on their watching the media. And so these things like this uh, in the United States killing this man on the street is a very personal act. You know, it's... You see this happening right in front of you, and it's emotionally disturbing. And then, of course, it stays, because the news cycle has to go on. They keep replaying it and replaying it and replaying it. And then they have people talk about it and so forth. So part of it is, as I say, it's a result of having a lot of time on your hands. It turns out that uh, kind of that's our specialty, monks Our specialty as monks is to have a lot of time on our hands. We have, we're living kind of in quarantine all the time as monks. We're kind of in a quarantine. So we have to look out over the world and we have to realize that, you know, this injustice that's taking place is not a new thing. This has taken place maybe in much more severe forms, as long as human history has gone on. The Buddha is looking out over this vast sea of suffering. He sees animals being killed just for food. He sees humans being exploited for their labor. He sees wars happening. He sees conquests and power trips on people. He sees all this and he says, I don't want you to be, my, my response is not to anger here. Anger does not fix this. And you, if you are angry about it, frustrated about it, depressed about it, you are now part of the problem. Now you're suffering too. So there's a lot of suffering going on. Do you need to add yours to it as well? No. You must. You're like a doctor in a in a hospital where you got a hundred patients. They're all sick. Should you take your mask off and get sick too? No, don't. Keep your mask on. You cannot afford to get sick. We need all of the people who can be doctors in this society. Doctors, not of medical health. Doctors who are bringing the health of the. Of a right of a good attitude to this situation. So, how do we think about what to say to people in the midst of this? How do we come up with the right words? You don't try to figure out the words, you check your heart and you try to practice some metta. First of all, you just think everybody's in trouble, everybody has a problem, lots oh, of suffering, including ourselves. Let us may they not suffer, may they be well, may they be happy. Now, we get our emotion in the right place. So we get our heart in the right place. And then once we get that there, then the words that come out of our mouth will be the right words. They'll be said at the right time in the right tone. And that's how we respond to this injustice and violence and everything. And when we do it that way, we won't get burnt out. So you won't run out of battery power. You won't run out of juice. Because uh, metta and uh, equanimity don't hurt your system. And they energize you. And so you can keep on finding justice in the world. You can keep on finding charity and generosity and goodwill, and helping others to find that as well. And you never, you will never run out of energy. But it has to be at that good source. Uh, if you have it from anger, you will run out of energy. You will get depressed.
1: You will give up. So that's the response, eh? Thank you. Thank you, Ajahn. Um, we have a question um, I would like to ask Adil Babayev. He's from Azerbaijan. I think Adil wanted to ask Ajahn a question. So, Adil, please uh, unmute your, your audio and you can yes. proceed. Ajahn,
0: I, I would like to express my gratitude for um, procuring out this opportunity in the first place. So, um, uh, prior to this pandemic, I, I had primarily uh, intellectual appreciation of the buddhist teachings and i would uh, i would uh, spend hours um, pouring upon the dhamma talks dhamma books and uh, listening to dhamma talks but this pandemic has provided me with the um, unique opportunity to put those teachings into practice and uh, and i was wondering how we can um, uh, possibly uh, carry these calm and stillness that we've developed throughout this period into our daily life after the pandemic is uh, over. Thank you. Well, it is very nice to hear from Adil. I have seen uh, his name come up and he is from Azerbaijan, Baku, the city of Baku, Azerbaijan. I bet you he's only, there's only a little handful of Buddhists in Baku, Azerbaijan. So he's a young man who has discovered Dhamma and is uh, pursuing it. And it's so delightful to hear uh, that we have, there are people all over the world. And I always say it's the, you know, it's the brightest and the sharpest, you see, that, that they, they can see things from a long ways away. They can see all the way from Baku, they can see the Buddha. <laughs> anyway, you ask what? how can we continue this after the pandemic? Well, in some ways, as I said, uh, metaphorically speaking, there's always a pandemic. There will always be a pandemic. So here's a little story from the Buddha. He goes to visit King Pasenadi and he tests King Pasenadi on his, how he's coming along as his disciple. And this king, is, uh, he's a powerful king in India at the time, and he has taken up Dhamma. Now, he's another bright fellow who can see the Buddha from a long ways away. So the Buddha asks him, O great king, if a messenger comes from the north and brings a message that a wall of mountains the size of the Himalayas is moving towards your kingdom." and is crushing every living being in its path. None escape. And then a messenger from the south comes and tells you a similar message from the south. A mountain as high as the Himalayas is rolling towards the kingdom, crushing every living being. No one escapes. And to make matters worse, The same message comes from the east and finally from the west. Oh, great king, you are surrounded. Mountains as high as the Himalayas are moving towards your kingdom and there is no escape. Every living being is crushed in this. Now, that makes the pandemic sound pretty good, doesn't it, actually? It's a really dire situation. What will you do, O great king? You're the king. Save us. (laughs) So he's testing uh, the king, Pasenadi. And so Pasenadi, King Pasenadi, says to him, he shows that he is a good disciple. He says, Lord Buddha, this is what I would do. I would keep the precepts And do acts of generosity. That is what I would do. And so the Buddha says, Just so, O great king, just so. This is the situation. The Himalayas, the wall, the Himalayas rolling towards us is the case, always. Illness, aging, death, loss. What can you do? You're surrounded (laughs) Every living being is surrounded by, on four sides by illness, aging, death, loss. It was at the beginning, it will be in the middle, it is in the end. What will you do? The fifth reflection. Do the good, don't do the evil. So, you keep the precepts and you do acts of kindness and generosity. This you do in the face of of the inevitable case of this, the pandemic has just brought it into our face. Uh, The pandemic is just a small version of what is always going on. It was this way before the pandemic, it's this way during the pandemic, and it'll still be this way after the pandemic. And your obligation is, having discovered Dhamma, is you put it in action by Keeping your virtue, so the precepts are just another way of talking about virtue, sila, which is based on a good heart, a well-informed and good heart, and then you will just naturally do acts of generosity, so you will share, you will be concerned, you will be helpful and in both speech and action. And that is how you will keep, after this pandemic, so-called after the pandemic there is no after this pandemic the pandemic is always here with us it always was it always will be people just are suddenly aware of it it's in their face but it's it's always the case and the solution to it is always the same we are virtuous and do acts of kindness in both speech and in
1: action the question from these um, <clears throat> participants is, um, all of us have um, bank account. So this question relates to a different bank account, not the material bank account. As much as possible, we want to practice compassion and our metta. Um, so th- there is a saying that you can't give love if you yourself don't have that emotional and love bank account that you can give someone. So the question is, how do we build this bank account of, of uh, unconditional love, loving kindness, metta and karuna.
0: Yes. Well, you know, we have the words of the Buddha left behind. We have the metta sutta, and we have uh, various exercises. Monks often teach metta, and how they teach metta? Well, they say a little formula, may I be well, happy and peaceful, May you be well, happy, and peaceful. May all beings be well, happy, and peaceful. Then they say to the student, now you repeat that and you say this formula and then magic happens. No, it doesn't happen. (laughs) That's too dry. That's not very imaginative. It's nice to know the words, but the Buddha gives you the indication of what metta is. And metta, loving kindness, is really a recognition that you are as others, and others are as you. They fear pain. They fear death. You're also, you fear and tremble before violence and aggression, and you fear death, so you don't want anybody to to injure you, and so you you understand that's the way all beings feel. Even an insect feels like that. It's amazing. You know, you try to catch the mosquito. He's very, very careful not to get killed or injured. He, trying to, he doesn't like that. <laughs> and he, or a cat, or a dog, or an elephant, or a human. All of us, we share something. You, you need to make this real to yourself, and you need to use your imagination... And your memory. So you, instead of just saying formulas, may I be well, happy, and peaceful, well, maybe that works for somebody, but you got to make the heart come alive with this. So that means that you have to go into your memories. When was a, a time of kindness and sharing and appreciation that you had in your life? When, who was that with? Can you remember that? Can you bring that memory up? Can you remember that? a time of maybe your mother, your grandmother, your father, your grandfather, your brother, your sister, your friend, who was that? Maybe it was your dog, your cat. Who was that? Bring that into your mind. Try to remember what that, that beautiful moment of friendship and concern and care and only good will towards you who wanted to share, you want to feed them, you want to make them happy. And so that's your that's your memory. And you can also do that with your imagination. You can if you all beings are like that. So now if your imagination's not so good, then you're going to have to read something which helps you understand this. There are some great works of literature that by great great people who look into the minds and hearts of humans and they explain to you how they feel and how uh, and you, it opens your heart. It warms your heart. So you know, read Charles Dickens about uh, how children were treated in the nineteenth century in these factories. So you have Oliver Twist and all of these things. These are eight-year-old boys that are sent to work in factories. They are wandering the street with nobody to help them. Uh, Dickens looks into into how it feels. He helps you generate this feeling of compassion, loving-kindness. This helps your imagination. Now, in modern times, we have movies. We even have music. And it's all right. You know, uh, for lay people, uh, if you need to make the heart move, you might need to listen to a song, watch a movie, read a book, listen to a Dhamma talk. I recommend Ajahn Sona's YouTube channel. Lots of talks on Meta there. (laughs) So, we will help you. Look, ask others out there that are specialists in this to help you imagine and remember and to bring it into existence because once you, you, that feeling is one of the best feelings a human can ever have. Once you have that, you always want more. So, it's not about dry formulas. It's not even about just reading the suttas. It's about uh, bringing this in and making the music of loving kindness happen until you hear it. And then you it's a beautiful, it's a, it's a quality of beauty. Art can help you. Literature can help you. Even music can help you. And dhamma talks also. The sound of another's voice talking you in bringing you into this. This is how you can cultivate this. And then don't worry about what you'll say or do afterwards. It'll always be in line with that good emotion of loving kindness. So you start with the heart. Uh, speech follows. Action follows.
1: Thank you, Ajahn. Uh, maybe we, okay. we have one, one last question um, before we end. Uh, I think coming back to the topic about equanimity, it is about finding the right balance. Um, As a layperson, it is very hard to remain that equal balance when we are being bombarded with so many negative news that are depressing, that cause the anxiety. So how do we continuously remain mindful during this time where we are able to maintain that equanimity? Because this is a very common question from a lot of people is, is the depressed moment, is the anxiety. So how do we maintain that equanimity, especially during this moment that we don't, we have never faced this before. This is really a tumultuous time.
0: Yes. So this part of it is not to overexpose yourself to unskillful voices. And a part of the news, the the job of the news, the news team that makes news is, is to keep you as a viewer and you are, kept by drama. And there's another side to this anxiety. The news and watching the news creates anxiety in people. And then you have uh, advertisements in connected to the news. Now it turns out when you're anxious and worried, you want an outlet and quite often you become a good shopper. <laughs> you an anxious person is a good customer. <laughs> they like to buy things makes it helps reduce the anxiety. So actually uh advertise, you know, merchants know this, you know, make you anxious, you're a good customer. <laughs> so you know, a customer for beer, <laughs> you're a customer for distractions, you're a customer for shopping just to clear your head to, to get away from things. You, you, so that you understand people are manipulating you by exposing you always to bad news and gripping m- drama. So your job is to take care of yourself. You have to be your own father, your own mother. And your mother is going to tell you, turn that off. <laughs> that's, gonna, that's only making you upset. Turn that off. So you lo- watch less of this stuff because you're associating with people and opinions that are unwise they're foolish and they're they're very deliberately manipulating your emotions to create drama in you so you need to stop that and then but what should you listen to you should find sources of information that are not trying to make drama. They're simply sources of information. And you should even balance that, especially at this time when there's a lot of uncertainty in the world, you should balance that with the voice of wisdom. And that means Dhamma voices. So listen to lots of uh, Dhamma talks uh, on Ajahn Sona's channel. (laughs) And so... And after you listen to a Dhamma talk by me, you will not want to go shopping, I guarantee you. (laughs) You will just want to pet your dog and say, thanks, Mom, for helping me, and can I share my my food with you? (laughs) So this is... You will know whether you had an encounter with wisdom is how you feel afterwards. If you feel stronger, if you feel kinder, If you feel clearer, that was an encounter with wisdom. If you feel anxious, worried, confused, that was an encounter with folly, with foolishness. So that's how you take care of yourself. And you are the responsible for choosing what you're listening to and what you're watching.